0: Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock. Here in Western North Carolina, welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. It's the 10th day of April, 2023, and a sports-filled weekend. Um, Golf everywhere this weekend. I really enjoyed watching that, but my God, we had baseball. We had so many things. I got to start just by saying congratulations to the Quinnipiac University men's hockey team, the national champions as they take the Frozen Four. Uh, they beat Minnesota in overtime on Saturday night. Unbelievable game. Um, they win 3-2. to two. They win it 10 seconds into the overtime period. So head coach Rand Pecknold, who has been there for a long, long time, played college hockey at Connecticut College in New London, Connecticut, um, this was the third trip for Quinnipiac to the national championship game, and they had lost the previous ones, and they finally get this one going. And I'll tell you what, I, you got to give Ram all the credit in the world there. I know that, that the players win it on the ice, but this guy's got some balls. They pulled their goaltender in a 2-1 game. They got a power play uh, late in the game, and he pulled his goalie, With 3.28 left in the game. Down 2-1. So if you give up an empty net goal, it's over. But with 3.28 left, he decided to go for the 6-on-4 advantage on the power play, and it pays off. Unbelievable. Uh, They end up scoring. They don't actually score on the power play. They only had 30 seconds left on it when he pulled his goaltender, Um, but uh, they did score right after that. They ended up with a 6-on-5 advantage, and – uh, the puck gets poked in by Colin Graf, and this game is tied at two. And then Sam Lipkin wins it 10 seconds into the overtime. Just great game. A lot of fun. Um, so congratulations to the Bobcats at Quinnipiac and Hamden, little Hamden, Connecticut. And, uh, you know, Quinnipiac's a beautiful campus, by the way. And they have a beautiful hockey facility. It's actually a hockey slash basketball facility that they built uh, a number of years ago. It's gorgeous. Gorgeous. And, uh, uh, to beat a powerhouse like Minnesota and, and Michigan to, to win the national championship is just incredible. So congratulations uh, to Quinnipiac University. That is number one this morning. And then, of course, we had the Masters all weekend. And the weather was wild. Uh, trees coming down on the course. Um, we had so many storylines in this tournament this weekend I mean, obviously, everybody, as soon as Tiger steps on the course, everybody wants to talk about Tiger, but it's not just that. I mean, we had the return of the guys that are on the Live Tour coming to another major, and how would they do? Um, and the answer is, well, they did, uh, a few of the guys did fairly well. Did they win it? No, which is what exactly what they wanted, but Brooks Kepka who was leading this thing and had a four stroke lead in the third period just completely melted down and uh, finishes tied for second as uh, John Rahm rolls to the victory. Uh, Kepka shot a 75, a three over 75 in the final round. And John Rahm closed with a 69. So, two live guys tied for second, Kepka and the 52-year-old Phil Mickelson, who was a great story on that final day. Uh, Mic- Mickelson shot a 7-under-65 on that last day. So, uh, uh, Lefty, who was kind of the face of live golf, really, when you think about it. I mean, Greg Norman, obviously the guy who started the thing with all the Saudi money. But Mickelson's the guy who kind of led the charge to go over there, even though he was late in his, his career. And frankly, has played like crap on the live tour. And uh, but what a great story! And you know the thing was is that you could tell that all the things that he said and the way that things have come down, um, have hurt him in terms of his popularity on the PGA tour. This is a guy that used to have huge galleries, people following him around everywhere. I met Phil Mickelson um, twice back in uh, when he was playing in Hartford at the uh at the time it was the Greater Hartford Open and um then it was the Travelers and I, and I met him there a couple of times what a gracious guy you know and very friendly and uh loved the fans and the fans loved him and uh, some of that's been eroded away but he becomes Nickels the oldest guy to ever finish second at the Masters Uh, Ray Floyd had done it before, but I think he was 49 when he finished in second place. So, uh, you know, and Patrick Reed, who's on the live tour, uh, ended up in fourth, a tie for fourth. So a few of the live guys did well. Dustin Johnson, who was one of the greatest players in the world, uh, was awful. You know, some of the other guys from the live tour that just couldn't get it done. But I will tell you what, um, I don't know what the future holds, but I know this having guys like Brooks Kepka out there every week is a good thing. And I, I would like to see them find some kind of middle ground so that these guys can compete in some tournaments. Uh, Brooks Kepka was even honestly admitted if he hadn't been injured, because he basically was uh, shot for a couple of years because of, of injuries. And he basically said, if he hadn't been injured when the invitation to the live tour came, he might not have taken it, or it might have been a much more difficult decision. Because on the live tour, you only have to play, you know, I think uh, ten events a year or something like that, and there are only fifty-four holes, so they're three-day tournaments, not four, you know. And so, it, and you can play in shorts, and you know, I mean, it's so it's a different kind of thing. And uh, you know, he said he might it might have been difficult. He said, to be honest, yeah. And I'll bet he wishes that the Masters was like the Live Tour because at the end of 54 holes, he had a two stroke lead. <laughs> Unfortunately, he had to play those final 18 holes, and John Rom got the best of them. And so good for him. Uh, it was a fun tournament to watch. Um, really, there was, you know, when the third, fourth round started, you could tell, I mean, it, when Rom got even, you could tell where the way this was going. And then it was just a matter of who was going to finish second, third, fourth. And it was kind of fun watching all the guys from the back of the pack. The scores were cut pretty low on that last uh, round, and a lot of guys came from deep back to get themselves in contention. Jordan Spieth had a great tournament, finished at 8-under uh, uh, eight eight, or 7-under, and uh, had led actually led the field in birdies all week. But unfortunately, uh, he also had some issues on some holes and a couple of double bogeys are what did him in. But Jordan Spieth played pretty well this weekend, and uh, a great tournament all around, and uh, another Masters in the book, and John Rom wins his first green jacket, and uh, not going out on a huge limb here, it won't be his last. Um, so, we—I uh, want to get to baseball now. And this was interesting. A study came out, was announced over the weekend. That's been going on for a while. That was conducted at Dartmouth, and they've analyzed a hundred thousand major league games and more than 200,000 balls put into play right i mean think about that um since like 2010 and they have con- they have confirmed or shown and this is not i mean i guess it's not a surprise but they believe, believe it or not folks climate change the whole global warming thing it's not just affecting uh, the temperatures here, it's not just affecting how your, your garden grows and how hot it is or how much snow you're getting or whatever. It's affecting home runs in Major League Baseball. And it is going to continue to affect balls in Major League Baseball. They They theorize that it is adding about 50 home runs a year. Because of global warming. Because it's just physics. When the air heats up, molecules move faster and away from each other, so the air is less dense. So balls hit off the bat, go farther through thinner air because there's less resistance. Simple physics. I could have told you that. i tell you when I learned that. And I never thought much about this. When I, when I worked in um, Saudi Arabia back in the late 80s, I played on a, in a softball league there yesterday, and it was uh, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and, you know, there was uh, Air Force personnel and Army Corps of Engineers and stuff. So there was a, a league with a half a dozen teams. And I played on a team with the guys from the Army Corps of Engineers. And I was always a pretty good uh, in, in slow-pitch softball. Cause God knows I'm way better at slow-pitch softball than I ever was at baseball. Uh, baseball i couldn 't i couldn 't hit a fastball i was pretty good on breaking but couldn 't hit a fastball A lick so that 's why uh, my high school uh, career and uh little league career and whatnot was uh, was what it was but anyway i digress uh i could always hit the ball a long way in softball and so i you know i played um in college and right out of college and and i could hit the ball and i could hit the ball out you know i i was a big dude so i could hit home runs well, I hit some home runs in Saudi Arabia in that hot air there, that I had never hit a ball so far in my life. I'm thinking, boy, it must be I must be this 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 food over here that I'm eating in Saudi Arabia, or what? I mean, I used to hit some bombs. Never gave it any thought. Simple physics: hot air, less dense air, ball travels farther. So, and they said, look, um, and it and it varies by ballpark, believe it or not. Wrigley Field is the field that has been affected the most by the climate change since 2010. Why? They play more home games or day games than anybody else. Place that's uh, had the least impact. Matter of fact, could be no impact. That would be Tampa. Why? It's indoors, right? Air conditioning. It's indoors. Other than that, every other place, it's about a 1% increase. You know, uh, Chicago is a little higher than that, and uh, Tampa is lower than that. But everywhere else, it's about a 1% increase. The average U.S. temperature in the summer has increased by more than 2 degrees in the last 40 years. And so we can expect this phenomenon to continue. Never thought much about it. So that would explain why Aaron Judge hit so many home runs last year, Right. Right. Okay, uh, the Red Sox this weekend, they sweep the Detroit Tigers. And Lord knows they needed to sweep the Detroit Tigers like nobody's business. It, it, look, the Red Sox are 5-4 and four right now. And, you know, you'd say, well, that's, you know, look, they're over 500. That's good. You know, the problem is is that they play in the American League East, and that 5-4 and four is good for fourth place. <laughs> and, and I know we have a long way to go, but when you look at this, this division – the margin for error for the Boston Red Sox this season is next to nothing. You cannot afford to have a bad week. That's why they could not afford to lose that game, or, or lose that series to the Pittsburgh Pirates. You know, it, think about this: if they, you know, if they take even one game, you know, all of a sudden you're talking, well, the Red Sox are six and three. You know, six out of your first nine, you're looking pretty good. If they take two out of three, hell, they're seven and two, and you know, wow. Um, but and that's why that hurts so badly and that's why i was so pissed off when they got swept by the the pirates you know and uh, uh by the way i was killing the pirates for their uh their their total payroll and i said it was the third worst in major league baseball i, I have to apologize for that i was wrong uh, it's they're the fourth worst um Tampa Bay who Tampa this is why Tampa Bay drives me nuts right this is the, the Tampa Bay has the third lowest payroll in baseball and every year the sons of bitches make the playoffs right now they are 9 and 0 they have won every game by double digits or not a double digits by more than 4 runs they are 9 and 0 with a payroll of 73.1 million dollars Pittsburgh's payroll, $73.2 million. So they have Tampa uh, by, I think it's, uh, let me do the math here, uh, $93,000. They've spent $93,000 more than Tampa. So I was close, but they're the fourth worst, not the third worst. So I apologize uh, to the fans of Pittsburgh. Uh, But anyway, uh, the Red Sox bounce back. And they beat the Detroit Tigers, whose payroll is uh, 19th out of 30th in Major League Baseball. Um, and yesterday was a weird game, but they end up winning it 4-1. to But now with this game that they win yesterday, and, you know, there were some good things. Uh, you know, Cutter Crawford pitched well. Uh, Tristan Costas had a couple of hits. He's kind of maybe waking up a little bit because he's been dreadful early on. Uh, he came into that game three for 23 and swinging at like 32%, you know, or swing and miss at 32%. I mean, it's been bad. And that 32%, I mean, this is a guy that showed last year, even if he wasn't hitting for a high average, he had a good eye. And he has, uh, maybe he's trying too hard this year because he's been handed that first base job. I don't know. Um, but it was a strange game. And then you have to ask yourself, was the sweep worth it because what happens in the ninth inning, Adam Duvall dives for a uh, a pop fly into a shallow left center and has to leave the game in the ninth inning with a wrist injury. We still don't know to this point the extent of it, waiting to hear. I've got Twitter on waiting, uh, waiting for an official announcement, but it can't be good. He instantly jumped up, grabbed that wrist, uh, Alex and the trainer, came out. No words were spoken. He just said, I'm done, and they, he walked off and went right down into the tunnel. That's the left wrist that he had had surgically repaired. So you know the news is not going to be good. And he has been their best hitter by far. So now you win the game, but <laughs> do you lose – you know, you win the battle, but do you lose the war? Because he is probably, you have to think, if it's broken, you know, who knows? Who knows? He could be out for the rest of the year or most of the year. You know, maybe you get him back late in the year. But, I mean, this guy was 15 for 33, 10 extra base hits, and 14 runs batted in in eight games. Jesus. (laughs) I mean, you know, he was, uh, you know – He's been vintage Jim Rice. That's what he's been. You know, he was Jim Rice when, you know, back when Jim Rice came up as a rookie. And he would played okay in center field. And they'd gotten him on a one-year, $7 million contract because he was coming off season-ending wrist surgery last July. And now he could be gone for the year. And now the Red Sox have some huge questions. What do you do now? I mean, the good news is they have Rymel Tapia. Boy, what a signing that looks like now. You know, he played great in spring training. You know, earned his spot on the team. You know, he was going to be kind of the fourth outfielder. And, you know, we've seen him in some games, late in games. And he's got incredible speed. And um, now, if you're Alex Cora and the Red Sox, what do you do? Does that mean Raimel Tapia now becomes your starting center fielder? Or does that mean that Kike Hernandez moves from shortstop to center field? You know, here's the issue. If you do that, who's playing shortstop? Because Alba Ramondesi, who they signed to play shortstop, is on the 60-day DL. He won't be back for, you know, a month, month and a half. So what do you do? Who is going to play shortstop? Now, the Red Sox have uh, recalled Bobby Dalbeck. He is going to meet the team in Tampa, even though there has been no official word on the injury to Duvall. But you have to figure, even, even if it's not broken, even if it's just a sprain, well, we know he's not playing tonight, so he's going on the injured list for some period of time. I mean, everybody is praying for good news, but you just don't know. But Bobby Dalbeck will be there tonight. So, does that mean Dalbeck becomes your shortstop? You know, a guy you played him there a bunch in preseason. He's played. He started a couple of games for Worcester there. What do you do, or or, or do you just hand it to to uh, to Tapia and pray? Or do you go back to the drawing board and go out and try to make a trade for an outfielder? What do you do? A lot of people think that they will be looking to move somebody and get an outfielder in here. But I think a lot of that is going to be completely dependent on the news that we get uh, on Adam Duvall's wrist. And if I hear anything, I will uh, I will certainly let you know. Uh, but let's hope that it is not the worst case scenario. Although sometimes sprains can be even worse than breaks. So, but you know the other and the other piece of yesterday's game is if you're if you're the Red Sox, right? And Cutter Crawford has come out. And he has pitched well. And there is no doubt that the kid pitched well yesterday. And it was a good bounce-back game for him because he stunk his first start. But he goes out yesterday, and he pitches five innings, gives up five hits and a run. And the run that he gave up, you know, it was a fluky run. Some, play, some plays behind him that weren't great. Strikes out six. Doesn't walk anybody. He's only thrown 65 pitches through five innings, and you take him out. And I know the bullpen pitched four scoreless innings. Okay, I get it, but at what point do you start letting your pitchers pitch a little bit? Jesus, he did it to Corey Kluber. Corey Kluber was pitching his ass off uh, last week, threw sixty-seven pitches, took him out after five. It's like it's now if five innings is the is the amount. If you get to five, Alex Cora is yanking you out of there, which means that every damn game you are using. Four and five relievers. If you continue to do that at that pace, this Red Sox team's not going to have any arms left. I mean, at some point, you got to stop this. And I don't want to hear about analytics and third time through the rotation. You know what, Baloney. If Cutter Crawford goes out there and you know what, he starts the sixth inning, and the first couple guys get on, you take them out. Okay, I get it. You I mean you got to, you got to do something. I mean, look what happened when the Red Sox played Pittsburgh. Mitch Keller, in his second start of the season, threw 107 pitches, threw seven innings. Sandy Alcantara, in his second start of the season, pitched a complete game. We've got to get away from this in Major League Baseball of five innings being a, hey, a pat on the back, and great job, what a great start you gave us. Used to be... That if you weren't pitching six seven innings, you were a failure. Got to stop, get the guy. You know, let him go. Let him pitch. Let him pitch. And now the reward for beating the Detroit Tigers three straight is going to <laughs> going to play Tampa, the nine and zero Rays. Good luck. Uh, the Red Sox will send Nick Pavetta out there tonight. And Nick Pavetta has been underwhelming his first couple of starts. Uh, he will face uh, – Jalen Beeks will actually get the start, but he's just going to be an opener. He'll pitch the first inning or two, and then Josh Fleming will come on after that. Uh, and then Garrett Whitlock, Chris Sale, and Corey Kluber are lined up uh, to pitch games 2, 3, and 4, four-game set in Tampa. Garrett Whitlock will make his first start of the season on Tuesday. Uh, Chris Sale still looking for, you know – the vintage sale. I mean, we were supposed to be excited by those three runs in five innings he gave up the last time. Uh, but look, this Tampa team went into Sunday's game with an ERA of two point two zero, and what did they do yesterday? Well, they beat the A's eleven to nothing. Right? They're nine and zero. Um, and they're not just—it's not just the pitching. They are beating the crap out of people. Uh, they lead the major leagues in home runs. They've hit 24 home runs in nine games. Uh, I mean, they are just c- c- bludgeoning people. And, you know, you don't want to get carried away and say that this is the season for the Red Sox, right? I mean, you know, it, it's 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 April for God's sake. But if you go down there and you get swept By those rays, you know, in that American League East, you could get buried by the end of April, and it's hasta la vista. And I I don't think that's hyperbole. I really don't. Uh, So they need a a good series down there. They need to split that series. I mean, I'm not even going to say they need to win the series because that's uh, probably hoping for way too much. The Sox don't generally play well down in Tampa, but they need a split. Of that four game series, like nobody's business. If they are going to have uh, any chance of contending in the American League East or at least keeping themselves in wild card position as the season goes on, they have got to split that series. 30 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. Back in a minute, you're listening to the wake up call on Sports Country. 33 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake up call here on a Monday morning. Um, and, uh, you know, further evidence of, of why the Red Sox don't have margin for error is the, Bo- or the uh, New York Yankees. They win their third straight series to start the year. Uh, they beat Baltimore 5-3 yesterday. Aaron Judge, homers twice. And the Yankees have won all three series uh, that they have played here at the start of the 2023 season. Uh, it is the first time that – or uh, the third time, I'm sorry, that they have done that in the last 20 years Uh, They won their first five series back in 2010 and their first four back in 2020. But the last couple of years, they have struggled a little bit at the start of the season. Um, But uh, Nestor Cortez uh, does a pretty good job, again, for the Yankees yesterday. Pitches into the sixth inning, gives up just two runs on four hits. And uh, bullpen was pretty good. Uh, Holmes nails down his third save of the season, and uh, the Yankees win. The uh, highlight, I guess, for the Baltimore Orioles, um, you took one out, of, one out of the three in the series, which is great. But Adley Rutschman, what a great start to the season he has had. He goes four for four. The young catcher is now hitting .389 um, and uh, kind of living up to some of that hype that uh, he had as uh, that big prospect in their system. So the Yankees now uh, will play the Cleveland Guardians uh, starting tonight. It, they will be in Cleveland and uh, it'll be Domingo Herman who got roughed up a little bit in his first start against the Philadelphia Phillies that will get the start for the Yankees as far as the Orioles go. Um, the Orioles probably get <laughs> the Orioles reward for losing a series to the Yankees is uh, getting to play the Oakland Athletics. The Oakland Athletics have started the season two and seven after getting drilled by the Tampa Bay Rays uh, three times this past weekend. Uh, they are two and seven and now the Orioles will send Kyle Gibson. Uh, to the hill tonight against the athletics that series is in uh, Baltimore. JP Sears will get the start for Oakland. And uh, the Toronto Blue Jays, also the American League East, uh, in a wild game yesterday, the Blue Jays come back to beat the Los Angeles Angels 11 or excuse me, 12 to 11. 23 runs and 26 hits in this game. And forget the pitch clock. I mean, you know, three hours and 31 minutes. Although with without the pitch clock, it might have taken four hours and 31 minutes. Uh, but Toronto scores two runs in the top of the 10th and uh, off of uh, Estevez, and they win the game 12-11. to 11. Uh, Matt Chapman, three for five, drives in five runs. Vlad Jr. with a couple of hits in this one. Vlad Jr. is on a mission this year. He is hitting four thirty nine to start the season. Uh, Kevin Kiermaier, huge game as well, three hits. He also drove in five. He's hitting 500. And uh, Jordan Romano ends up getting the win. Uh, The Blue Jays now will be off today, and then they will play their home opener coming up against the Detroit Tigers um, on uh, Tuesday. They started the season on the road, a nine-game swing or a ten-game swing on the road because some improvements were being made to their home ballpark uh, but it is done, and so they will play uh, at home tomorrow. The Angels get to face the Washington Nationals, who have been dreadful to start the season. Um, so the Angels still leading the American League West. They are tied on top with the Texas Rangers, and uh, the Washington Nationals have struggled to start the season. They are 3-7. and seven. Uh, The Mets, they have the $350 million payroll. Um, lose again. They are now at 500. And uh, people are a little restless in New York. They get beat by the Marlins. 77-2. 7 to 2. Brian De La Cruz with a home run drives in four. And Carlos Carrasco gets roughed up yet again. Uh, Carrasco gave up six runs in four and two-thirds innings. And uh, through his first couple of starts, he's got an ERA of 11.5. Ouch. Um, and... Uh, the Mets, two runs on nine hits, but they uh, could not hit with runners in scoring position yesterday. Just two for 12 uh, with runners in scoring position and uh, just really struggled to get anything going at all. And uh, they lose 7-2. to two. So, uh, Steve Cohen cannot be happy with the start that they have seen. And now they get to play the San Diego Padres uh, starting tonight. It is a three-game series in New York uh, Cindy Alcantara will pitch for the Marlins tonight in Philadelphia. Philly righted the ship a little bit over this past weekend, but the, uh, the Padres—they take three out of four from the Braves, including clubbing the hell out of them yesterday, ten to two. How about Nelson Cruz? I didn't—I got to be honest with you—I didn't realize Nelson Cruz was even on the Padres. You know, I, he's 112 years old. I didn't realize that anybody had even signed the guy. And uh, come to find out, he is on the Padres. And yesterday, he goes three for four. And he drives in six. He's almost 43. He's 42 years and 282 days. He is the oldest or the second oldest player to hit a home run for the Padres. One day younger than when Ricky Henderson did it back in 2001. It's the most RBIs for Cruz uh, in a game. In three years, he drove in seven against uh, Minnesota back in uh, July of 2020. He was a triple sh- uh, shy of the uh, of the cycle. He wasn't getting a triple unless all three outfielders broke their legs trying to go for a ball yet out there. Because I might be able to beat Nelson Cruz in a foot race. Well, maybe not. But anyway, the Padres now six and four, um, and the Braves are six and four, and they have struggled against the Padres. The Padres kind of have their number. Uh, they have lost eight of the last 11 games to the Padres in their own ballpark at Truist Park in Atlanta. The Padres owned them. Uh, so uh, uh, the Padres now, the Mets tonight, U Darvish and Max Scherzer. U Darvish pitched well for the Padres in his first start of the season a few days ago. Max Scherzer has not pitched well in either of his two starts for the New York Mets. He is 1-1 one one with an ERA of 6.35. And if you look back, and I had not, You know, and I wondered what was going on with Scherzer's struggles. This isn't new. And you wonder if it's possible, and I'm not saying that it is, but you have to wonder if perhaps Max Scherzer is running out of gas. You know, look, Max Scherzer is not a young man, right? He's, uh, you know, in his late 30s. There's a lot of miles on that arm. And. It's not just this year. His final three or four starts of last year were terrible. So this is a pattern, and it's something to keep an eye on if he continues to get roughed up. You have to wonder if perhaps, um, and and I hope not, but you just have to wonder if uh, maybe Max Scherzer has too many miles on that arm. So uh, it'll be something to keep an eye on. Uh, The Reds come back yesterday to beat the Philadelphia Phillies Jake Fraley with a basis clearing double in the ninth inning uh, as they come back and uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez um, imploded they brought him in for the save and he couldn't get it done so Fraley uh, ends up winning the game for the Reds uh, the Phillies now now they take the series which was good because uh, and and fans the fans were better in Philly than I thought they were going to be. I told you I was going to watch to see how they reacted, and they handled it a lot better. Uh, the Phillies are three and six, and I was concerned that perhaps that the uh, the the rough Phillies fans would kill them, but uh, they were pretty pretty good over the weekend. They win two out of three, and now they will take on the Miami Marlins. Uh, Graham Ashcroft is going to get the uh, start for the Reds tonight as they play Atlanta, and. Uh, Philly's going to have to deal with Sandy O'Contra. Good luck. Um, the Cardinals struggling all of a sudden. The Milwaukee Brewers off to a much better start than most people thought. The Brewers win yesterday six to one. They are seven and two to start the season. Uh, they take the series over the Cardinals, and the Cardinals are three and six to start the year. Uh, Willie Adamas, the hero for the uh, Brewers yesterday, three for four, a homer, a double, three runs batted in. Uh, Christian Yelich hit his first home run of the season. But what happened to that guy? I mean, this is a guy that used to hit home runs everywhere. And uh, his power is gone. You know, and uh, there's been a lot of people theorizing that perhaps he was, you know, juicing at one point and never got caught. And maybe that was part of it. I don't know. But, man, he has just completely disappeared. Uh, Freddy Peralta got the start for the Brewers yesterday. He struck out seven. Gave up one run, four hits, and three walks in six innings. Hey, how about that? A guy went more than five innings. Take notes, Alex Cora. Uh, The Cardinals head to Colorado uh, today. Steven Matz is going to get the start for the Cardinals, and he'll take on uh, Herman Marquez for the Rockies. And the Brewers head to Arizona. It'll be Wade Miley for the Brewers tonight, and Zach Gallen will get the start for the Diamondbacks. Um, And the Diamondbacks... I'll tell you what. They gave the uh the Dodgers all they could handle this weekend. They beat the Dodgers yesterday 11 6. Arizona is now 6 and 4. And uh they whacked around Clayton Kershaw the other night. Yesterday um the young kid got the start for the Dodgers, uh, Michael Grove in just his second year. He only threw 29 innings. Uh, in six starts for the Dodgers last year. Well, he gave up uh, nine runs and 12 hits in just three and a third innings yesterday. Uh, So this one was over very early. Uh, Arizona put up crooked numbers in four of the first five innings and uh, end up running away and hiding in this one. The Dodgers, uh, again, they're going to be fine. No reason to panic. Uh, But the Diamondbacks have been better than most people thought they were going to be. Uh, Bad news out of Pittsburgh. And, uh, look, uh, the Pirates, you know, they swept the Red Sox, and I was killing the Red Sox, and, and rightly so. But having said that, the Pirates have started the season 6-3. and three. They beat the White Sox yesterday one nothing. But, again, it's one of those victories that you go at what cost because in the game, uh, their shortstop, O'Neill Cruz, fractured his left ankle in a collision at home plate. Uh, he was trying to score on third from third on a uh, on an infield chopper, and uh, when he slid into the plate, uh, he appeared to coll- uh, collide with the catcher Sebby Zavala, and his his leg bent back, kind of funny, and he ended up fracturing the ankle. Um, there was a little bit of a scuffle after that. I'm really not sure why, but I guess I, I don't know. Zavala was talking to one of the players from. Chicago, who took exception at something that was said, and you know the bench is emptied briefly, but nothing came of it. But that is a big loss. Um, Cruz, uh, biggest shortstop in major league history, by the way, six foot seven. Uh, but he is going to be out uh, for quite a while uh, as he fractured his ankle yesterday. So that's a that's a rough one for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Whether <laughs> no matter what their payroll is, it's forty five minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take one more break. Back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call, 47 minutes past the hour. So um, we all get frustrated at baseball, right? I mean, it's just, you know, you you root for your favorite team and you want them to win um, every game. Well, just uh, just in case, you know, you're feeling bad about how your favorite team has done recently, here's a couple of stories that will make you feel better. Just when you think your team is having a bad day, how would you like to be... The team from Brandeis. Uh, <laughs> Brandeis uh, playing a game in Waltham, Massachusetts, was playing against Emory University in a doubleheader this weekend. Um, Brandeis lost the doubleheader. <laughs> they lost the first game 31-4. to 31-4. You know, and you see that happen in college baseball. Not 31, but you see that happen in college baseball where, you know, some teams you only have a little bit of pitching and, you know, when you get into the games when you don't have your your, your aces, that things can get ugly. Second game of the doubleheader. Brandeis lost that one. 31-7. They cut outscored in the afternoon 62-11. to uh, it is the tenth and eleventh times this season that a team has scored thirty or more runs in Division Three. And look, I, you know, I worked at a Division Three school for fourteen years, and there, in many cases, in Division Three, where there are no athletic scholarships, and depending on where the school is or what the school's philosophy is, sometimes. Uh, college athletics and Division three are just a tool for attendance or for enrollment where you're trying to entice more people to come to your school because you have a certain sport. so a lot of teams will have football because you know that you know you're gonna have 80 to 100 kids on a football team. Well 80 to 100 kids times you know 40 to 50 grand a year is a lot of money and it's more money than it costs you to run the football program so it's a net gain right? Makes sense. It's you know it's all college athletics is all about finances. Even at Division three, we talk about the money at Division one. Forget that. It's about money at Division three too, because at the end of the day, with no athletic scholarships, a kid that's the best could be the best Division three player in the country is paying his own way. Right? You know, unless he you know unless he's also a brain and and you know and has a, an academic scholarship. But by and large, kids that are playing Division three sports are paying their own way. So Brandeis might have gotten beat. 62 to 11, but those 30 kids on that baseball team or 25 kids on that baseball team paid their way. And so, you know, but I feel you, but I also, you know, if you're a parent of one of those kids on that Brandeis team, that had to be very difficult to watch. I can't even imagine. 62 to 11 in a doubleheader. And then we go to minor league baseball. This is incredible. Um, the Los Angeles Angels Double A team. By the way, you got to love this team name: the, the Rocket City Trash Pandas. <laughs> uh, they were playing a doubleheader against the Chattanooga Lookouts this weekend, and entering the seventh and final inning, because in minor leagues when you play a doubleheader, you only play in seven. The Trash Pandas were winning three nothing, and uh, they were on track for a combined no hitter. Because their starter Coleman Crow had gone had pitched six hitless innings, all right. So they bring they go to the bullpen. They bring in a guy by the name of Ben Joyce. He's their third round pick from last year. Supposedly he throws harder than anybody in the major leagues. Well, by the end of the inning, the Trash Pandas had blown the three run lead. And they end up losing the game seven to five, but they still had not given up a hit. How? Think. Listen to this. Walk, walk. All right. So there's two on, nobody out. There's a pop up. So now we got one out. Another walk, and then he strikes out a guy swinging. So it's it's uh, two outs, bases loaded. You got a three three nothing lead. You're you're a batter away from a combined no-hitter. He then walks the guy, walks in a run. Then a guy reaches on a fielding error, right? A drop fly ball. A drop fly ball. And now Chattanooga's winning the game 4-3. to three. They still don't have a hit. They take Joyce out. They bring in another guy. He hits the first three guys he faces. <laughs> now it's 6-3. Then he walks a the guy. Then a wild pitch. Then another hit batter before he strikes a guy out to end the game. So the guy they brought in for the, the the reliever they brought in for the reliever hit four guys and walked the guy and threw a wild pitch. They're down 7-3. The trash pen has come back, score two, but they end the up losing the game 7-5. So you throw a no-hitter. And you lose seven five. So, just when you think the Red Sox or the Yankees or whoever your favorite team is has had a bad day, you could have been the Rocket City Trash Pandas. I guess the silver lining is they had another get double game to play in that doubleheader, and the Trash Pandas came back and won the second game three nothing. But oh my God, that's <laughs> you know it's that's that's baseball, right? You just when you think you've seen it all, you haven't, and that's that's uh, as bad as it gets right there. Um. A couple other quick notes. The uh, Bruins win yesterday. They win their 63rd game of the season, which is an NHL record. Uh, And David Posternak has a hat trick, and in that hat trick, he scores his 60th goal of the year. He becomes the 23rd NHL player to ever reach uh, the 60-goal club. 60 goals. For a guy who just signed the richest contract in franchise history, he just signed an eight-year extension for $90 million. Uh, and he has been unbelievable down the stretch. Unbelievable. And they were shorthanded yesterday. They had no Bergeron, no Krejci, no Taylor Hall, no Charlie McAvoy. Uh, they called up like five or six guys from uh, Providence on an emergency basis. Uh, they still end up winning the game. They beat the Flyers 5-3. Uh, two games left uh one more point and they will tie the Montreal Canadiens the 76 77 Canadiens for the most points in a season uh and a win they'll they'll own it all by themselves uh this Bruins team has just been unreal uh, you know again though at the end of the day you don't win the Stanley Cup it doesn't mean as much but uh, boy, what a way to finish uh speaking of a way to finish the Celtics uh without Jason Tatum and a couple of other guys Beat the Atlanta Hawks. They come back to win this game, one twenty to one fourteen. But the story um, of this one was Peyton Pritchard, his first career triple double: thirty points, thirteen rebounds, eleven assists. Uh, Celtics buried twenty-one three pointers in this game, and uh, they, uh, they it was the third most three pointers in team history. So uh, they uh, are ready for the playoffs. That was the season finale, and now they wait to see. It's either going to be, I think, the Heat or the Atlanta Hawks who they will play in the first round of the playoffs after the uh, the play-in tournament is over. Jason Tatum, by not playing, by the way, finishes the season averaging 30.1 points a game. He becomes the first Celtic in history to average 30 points a game. First one, Larry Bird never did it. Bill Russell, Kevin McHale, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett. I mean, tons of guys that could have done it, never did. He becomes the first one in franchise history to average thirty points a game. Um also in the NBA yesterday, the Celtics, I mean excuse me, the Lakers win. Uh and uh they move up into the top of the play in tournament spot, so they will get to play the Minnesota Timberwolves in the uh the play in tournament, but they beat the Jazz yesterday one twenty eight uh, to 117, LeBron James 36 points in this game to lead the Lakers, and uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves, who they play, um, have sent Rudy Gobert home after he punched his teammate Kyle Anderson on the bench. I don't know what happened, so uh, whether he will be playing in that uh, playing tournament that starts tomorrow, we don't know uh, because uh, the team has sent him home. And in NASCAR last night, the uh, the dirt race in Bristol. And by the way, by the way, the more I see this, the more I hate it. They brought in like truckloads of dirt to turn Bristol Motor Speedway into a dirt track. It's just stupid. But uh, Christopher Bell uh, wins that race last night. It's his fifth uh, Cup Series win uh, in his career. Um, but it's just dumb, just dumb. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. It's Marin Morris's thirty third birthday. Not a huge fan of hers, but I do like this song. So, in honor of her 33rd birthday, here's some Marin Morris on the way out in my church. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.